recognizing that it's hard to measure some of the more emotional aspects of like a user's experience i think there are ways to really think about customer loyalty if you start by asking the right questions and then start thinking about consistency over time you're listening to the meta business innovation and technology podcast conversations with industry leaders on new trends and products that can grow your business Today, host Jess Liao will be moderating a panel discussion on building with empathy with guests Kate Braddock, Judith Martinez, and Corey Ponder. Together, they'll explore what empathy looks like in practice and the impact such a skill can have on your team, your customers, and your product. Building with deep empathy is central to Meta's mission of creating a more open and connected world. Empathy is more than a concept. It's a skill that we can all use to understand what users truly need out of their products. Having the right team composition challenges us to make better decisions as we build. However, in today's world, empathy can be such a buzzword. It gets thrown around and sometimes it has a tendency to lose ground. Empathy gets shoved in many different directions in what's already a gray area. So in today's episode, we'll unpack what it means to build with empathy. And for our conversation today, we welcome Kate Burdock from Switch and Judith Martinez from In Her Shoes, along with MetaMate Corey Ponder to our panel today. So to kick it off, um, tell us about yourself and what you do. I am Kate Brodock. I'm CEO of Switch, which is formerly um, Women 2.0. We've been around since 2006, tackling the tough issues of gender and representation in the tech startup space. Um, I myself have a 15, 20 year background in the tech startup space, specifically early stage. Um, my practitioner side was sort of marketing and operations, but um, jack of all trades as early stage startups often go. And so this journey of, um, again, really trying to address representation um, has brought me, of course, to the topics of, and we'll, we'll get into this, but diversity, inclusion, and and much more core, which is the part of the uh, point of this conversation is really empathy. And so I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Thanks, Kate. Hi, everyone. My name is Judith Martinez, and I go by she, her pronouns. So excited to be here with all of you. Um, I geek out about turning ideas into impact as a social impact entrepreneur. Um, Really throughout the trajectory of my winding and unconventional career path, I've often found myself working alongside global change makers at these unique intersections poised for social impact, while also encompassing innovation and inclusion. Um, I'm the founder of In Her Shoes, which is a modern woman's community for courage. And I'm also the social impact manager for Selena Gomez's Rare Beauty and Rare Impact Fund, where we tackle and work to destigmatize the mental health conversation, especially as it pertains to young people. Uh, when I'm not geeking out over social impact, the happy introvert in me is working on my master's degree from USC in digital media management with an emphasis in advocacy, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I'm really excited to be part of this conversation with incredible minds and happy to be here. I will try to round this out. It's already excited off of the intros. Hi, I'm Corey Ponder. I am currently at Meta 
working on equity, well-being, social impact strategy and programs within our partnerships org. And for me, this work is very, very gratifying, very, very fulfilling because it gives me a chance to bring together two areas that I feel like are both very connected to me personally, but also are areas that I feel like are just so important. Conversation around empathy. How do we show up for others and understand other people's stories so that we can build or create solutions for those things? And also equity and inclusion. How do we make sure that people feel represented? and include it in every space. And so I get a chance to do that day to day in my work with Meta, but also uh, as an educator and a business owner when it comes to uh, facilitating around those topics as well. Amazing. Wow. This is such a rock star panel. And I'll just give a brief intro of myself. Um, I'm Jess. I'm on the business engineering team here at Meta. I'm super, super humbled and honored to moderate such a talented group of leaders to chat about the importance of building with empathy. Uh, so let's kick this off. Um, let's start off by hearing from our guests, Judith and Kate. Uh, what is empathy? What does it look like when empathy is implemented well in an organization? And how's it, how does it change the narrative of a product or a service? Yeah, I can kick us off and then I'll, I'll pass the mic to, to my colleague here, Kate. Um, I think as kind of just like a, a grounding moment being rooted in empathy by definition or how we've seen it societally or, or how we relate to it on the day to day. And if we if we were to even simply look it up or, or a Google um, search, it would really lead to understanding the capacity to be able to feel what another person feels or is experiencing right from from the frame of reference or to place yourself in another person's shoes. Um, but I think something that's really been eye-opening for me in my own experiences, whether it's DEI work or being a practitioner, is the different levels of empathy and the different types of empathy that there are to practice. So I think on one, on one end of the spectrum, we see emotional empathy as something that's most commonly used or referenced, which is essentially feeling what other people feel in theory or the effort to feel that, what someone else is feeling. Something that I am most excited about to hopefully dive more into in this conversation is this notion of cognitive empathy, which I think is something that we can all use. I know I could use more of it, especially in the workplace. Um, and for those of us in the DEI space, this can also be referenced or referred to as perspective taking. So cognitive empathy can also be intertwined with perspective taking for those in that um, familiar with it. And cognitive empathy really involves being able to have a more complete and accurate knowledge of what a person's mind, experience, and their feelings include. And I think something that's so core and central to empathy is being able to center another individual's experiences and not necessarily my own. So for example, am I being with your feelings and your experience, or am I being with my feelings and experiences about your feeling and experience? And so I think there's there's a fine line there that allows us to really explore what empathy can be. I think when it comes to being able to effectively uh, implement empathy within an organization, there are so many things that come into play. One thing that I definitely see empathy as is it's like a muscle, like a lot of skill sets. Empathy is like a muscle and it's something that you can build up to. And it's essential for being able to create and scale a sustainable organization. Uh, but one thing I really want to challenge folks with in this conversation is if empathy could be more than a skill set, could it be an outcome? Um, and I think one way that we could see empathy being implemented effectively into an organization are what are the different skill sets that it could take to be able to 
build up this empathy muscle. And one example could be the act of micro inclusions. I think the simple act of being able to, for example, include your colleagues and being able to place yourself into not only their feelings or emotions, but the headspace that they're coming into work with allows us to broaden that perspective and that conversation to include more people in. So I'll stop there because I know Kate has a lot to bring in as well, but I would just kick things off on that front. That was like a perfect um, sort of foundation to to where I, I would go with this also is, you know, when I thought about this question, the first thing I think about when I think about empathy, especially vis-a-vis, you know, some of the other words that can be used as well, is that understanding and feeling of other people's experiences. And I think that's kind of the key distinguishing factor. So when I see this play out in a workplace, I almost think about, can a workplace get to the point where that reflex Judith used the word muscle building. I think it's really good where it's, it's so much quicker and it runs through the veins of that organization. I don't think it's practical to expect that every single worker is necessarily going to become an empath, but can we encourage more empathetic responses, more empathetic processes, et cetera, throughout the organization? A great example is just recently we've had the horrible shootings that have happened is being able to look at that and say, oh my gosh, we have an entire employee base of parents, or we have an entire employee base of Black people who are going to be walking into our organization tomorrow. We're expecting them to perform, and this is their experience right now. And so that's sort of like a major in-your-face reaction, but that is a really good example of it. I also think empathy in the workplace, you know, Corey and I, we, we have a program that we've been running for a little bit. It started out, we were using all the terms everybody knows, allyship, diversity, and inclusion, that sort of thing. And we finally just, and, and in that programming, consistently from the beginning, we've talked about empathy. Uh, Corey's actually, I think, going to bring up later in this conversation, one of the exercises specifically that we use, which is empathy mapping. And we finally sat down and we said, let's get rid of the buzzwords and let's just call this what it is, which is empathy, It's empathy training. Because from that, if you can really reflect, as Judith said, on the experiences of others, from that will fall all of these other things that we've been talking about for years. So that's really, it's almost like that core foundational um, cultural piece to an organization that is, you know, we're we're all biased on this conversation, but all these other things we've been trying to attain will come from that. I want to double tap on something that both Jude and, and Kate have hit on, which is the intentionality piece. One, I think first, you really described empathy very well, but I also love how both of you talked about the muscle building piece. And so I think some of that is empathy is also habit, right? And then I think the second piece is it's not about us. So I think it's really connecting to that deeper sense of how do people want to be validated or understood in the space, which has almost nothing to do with what we think people want in that space. And so I think both of you hit on that. I just love it. Love it so much. Yeah. And I also just like love the breakdown, the detailed explanations on like the different levels and types of empathy and like the real world examples to kind of connect all of that together. Um, Kate, 
Do you feel like businesses have been operating without empathy? And if so, has there been a shift in the way that companies think about it? Yeah, this is a this is an interesting, it's a very timely question. Um, and I'd almost, and, and something we could also talk about for probably half a day, if not more. Um, and I'd almost come back to that question with, with two questions to get people to start thinking about whether we are or not. And I think the first question is, have businesses been empathetic towards their entire employee base? Have they prioritized building empathetic relationships between their, their humans? And I think it's, that word is really important. I think when we talk about this work and, and this topic, these humans in the workplace. Um, and then the second question is, you know, have they really built products and solutions that address their full breadth of users? And I think right now it's hard to, to say yes. It's hard to say yes to both of those questions. And we, you know, we could go and we could hash out a lot of that, but I, I really do think that it would be hard for anybody to say yes to that question. That being said, I do think in the past five to 10 years with this focus on inclusion, belonging, you know, humans as your greatest asset has, you know, these, these concepts have been growing um, organically, sometimes forced, you know, whatever. I think that we are moving in the right direction for that to happen. I think um, there has been more listening. And I think that's a really key part of empathy is being able to listen and open up those channels for feedback and just at the core of this, really hearing other people's experiences. Um, and then again, I had mentioned too, this idea of this pathway, we've been talking about, you know, diversity, diversity really at the end of the day is kind of, um, it's really honestly a characteristic and numbers game. We've gotten closer when we talk about inclusion. I think that's a really great step and belonging. So we are moving in the right direction. I also, um, we run, uh, my other hat, so to speak, is I am general partner at a early stage VC fund. We invest into women and underrepresented um, tax founders, the, the W fund. And we are extremely tuned into the, the level of empathy of our founders because they're building solutions that are serving, um, serving uh, very specific groups of people. I really see these as the leaders of the next, you know, 10 to 20 years of our tech giants. So my last sort of comment to this question is I see a lot of promise in our new set of founders who will be running large companies shortly um, and that level of empathy that's entering the marketplace. So that also gets me really excited, too. Love it. I like that. I like to hear that there's been a lot more listening. The thing that comes to my mind is like the different types of listening, like listening to understand versus listening to respond. Um, and it seems like that understanding is coming out more and more. Uh, switching gears a little bit, um, Corey, how can designers, developers, and most importantly, leaders predict or measure the impact of um, empathetic practices? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think this ties in as well. I'll just add in Something that people should look up if they haven't heard of it is this technique called deep canvassing, because when you mention 
listening to understand or listening versus listening to respond. It reminds me of this, which essentially there was some research done back in like 2014 or 2015 around this idea of like, can you use a method of conversation as a way to build empathy in a statistically significant way where it would last down the road? And I won't get into the details of the research, but essentially one of the things they tested was really this model of listening to understand. If you're really going into a space to understand the community, understand the person and have the patience to listen, to process actively with them, then not only will it help you understand their position, but it will help you shift whatever decision, whatever learning needs to happen will help you all shift there in a, in a significant way, um, in a lasting way. And so I think to your question actually about designers, developers, and leaders thinking about measuring impact, my first response would be what questions are you actually asking and are you tracking or like actually measuring the types of ways in which you are engaging users or engaging people who you're leading around these questions. And so when I think about the right questions, there's this exercise called empathy mapping and Kate mentioned it earlier, but I think the first time that I saw it was actually used in design. Um, I think a designer or founder named David Gray, but this framework really gets you to explore what is the user thinking or feeling about a product or space? What are they seeing? What are they what do you think that they would gain or what do you think that their pains might be and, and all of kind of surrounding the senses? And I feel like it's a really useful foundation or framework to start from because before you can actually measure or predict impact, I think you really have to understand like what it is that you're asking or what it is you're coming into a conversation or a situation with, what data points you're coming in with. But then beyond that, I think when we talk about empathy, I think so much of it comes down to at least the initial conversation is around like sentiment, like, wow, how does somebody feel before or after this engagement? Or did we make them happy? Did we make them feel something validated in this space? And I'm sure that many designers or many people who are close to any type of like technology development will say measuring emotions are really hard. Uh, but I think in the acknowledging that I think that there are things that we can look at, for instance, thinking about like the return on investment of certain things or particularly in technology, because we have all these different pieces of metadata and information that helps us think about engagement, think about like how people are really kind of internalizing the brand and the product. It's like, how can we start to use some of those as proxies for empathy? I mean, I'm thinking of like customer satisfaction or CSAT, for instance, is just one of those metrics or thinking about engagement over time whereby you start to make the connection of if we have built real trust in our brand, then the hypothesis is people will keep coming back to that brand. How do we build trust with empathy? Or if customers are satisfied over time is probably a testament to our consistency, not just that we did this one thing one time, but we built the habit of showing up for what our users need on a consistent basis. So I think recognizing that it's hard to measure some of the more emotional aspects of like a user's experience. I think there are ways to really think about customer loyalty if you start by asking the right questions and then start thinking about consistency over time. That's great. 
Going back to the roots a little bit, um, is there a notable difference when a company is empathetic on the surface or deeply rooted in empathy? And if so, what does that look like? I'm going to hand it to you, Judith. There's across the board, there's definitely a notable difference when when a company is empathetic and not in a performative way, right? Like we, we want to see the receipts. I think Kate spoke to a lot of current events where there's a demand for beyond the performative and beautiful, beautifully polished taglines or slogans that like represent these notions. But I think one thing that really sticks out to me is this psychological safety, right? So something that was recently reviewed in, in a Harvard Business Review just the other month is that toxic corporate culture is 10 times more important than compensation in predicting turnover. 10 times more important. That is wild to me, right? Like, let's just take a moment and be with that. It's just mind boggling to me. And so I, I, I shout that out and, you know, I have head nods to Kate and Corey here as my colleagues in this space because it is mind blowing how this really matters, right? And, and it matters for a reason because we've seen the evidence for why it does. And so it's, I think something like that statistic in and of itself is it's the biggest factor for pushing employees out the door during this great resignation that we're also finding ourselves in, right? And so I think one example that I've really seen done well when when it comes to actually a deeply rooted empathetic culture is the use of ombuds. Um, this is a phrase and a term that was completely new to me just a couple years ago, but I think with the rise of COVID and just the realities of the world, I've seen more and more ombuds spring up. And for any listeners that maybe aren't quite familiar with what ombuds are, organizational ombuds are essentially independent, confidential, impartial, and in my opinion, most importantly, off-the-record resources that help employees explore options for resolving the conflicts and problems that they're experiencing at work. So a, a huge highlight, I think, for ombuds as well is they don't advocate for the employee or for the company necessarily. Their goal is to advocate for fairness. And so I think that is an example of what are these deeply empathetic practices that we are internally taking that allows our people, our humans, to Kate's point, thrive and flourish in their own roles to provide the bigger impact that we can make, I think, as a company. Um, and I think secondly, really, when we're evaluating this deeply empathetic culture, it's asking the question, is there a gap between policy and practice, right? Employees are watching to see if employers are really putting messages of care, right? Like we all know the company memos, the beautiful posts that go on social, but are we putting these messages of care into action, both internally and externally? And one of my favorite examples of that being brought to life is earlier I mentioned, you know, micro inclusions. And so just like microaggressions, micro inclusions can also have a huge impact. And it's something as small as, for example, looking at a religious holiday calendar for cultural holidays and avoiding scheduling key meetings during important cultural holidays for folks that maybe don't share the same worldviews as you or ensuring everyone gets equal airtime in a meeting. Um, so I think when it's done consistently, these micro inclusions or these you know, ombud groups can really shift organizational cultures and up-level a skill like empathy into an outcome of an empathetic culture. Um, and then I think the last thing for me that I'm really seeing is empathy is a key ingredient that will make the difference between the great attrition, right? Or is it the great attraction? Because I think empathy can also attract talent and maintain that that level of, of performance over time. Um, and it, I mean, who, who doesn't want that? 
So, man, Jude, with those nuggets, thank you for giving us a sustaining meal today. Man, I need, I was gonna eat dinner, but I feel like I'm getting served something special here. Um, just to add a few few things here. I mean, first, anchoring in that stat. Wow, I had also read on the other side of that, the more positive side. Like a business solver had done like a state of workplace empathy study, and they essentially found that for Gen Z, like 90% of Gen Z employees said that they're more likely to stay with an empathetic employer. So again, it's like the positive side of that, but again, just how important it is to a generation of workers to be empathetic. So I think a couple of statements that I will make around like what empathy looks like uh, in a deeply empathetic workplace or work culture. I think first, it's a culture of thinking outside the box and being willing to deconstruct working models to see if there's something that is not serving the team well and not serving the company well. I think that speaks to the broader conversation around innovation. And I think innovation is another buzzword, but innovation in practice is constantly deconstructing and challenging your notions of doing things right, in my opinion. And I think it takes empathy to do that. Deep empathy, I think, looks like retention, as Jude mentioned, thinking about the workforce and who stays and why they stay. I think deep empathy is patience, thinking about your ability to check your assumptions, review decisions, find ways to slow things down because it's important to get to market, but it's also important to get to market right. It's important to build for communities, but it's important to understand what communities need. So having the patience to do that. Deep empathy is mechanisms for active listening. So if you don't have spaces that allows for brainstorming or helping employees build solutions in community or leaders to get constant feedback from the people that they are leading or for product teams to get feedback from the people they're building for, then I think we have a disconnect between what is empathy and what isn't. And finally, empathy, and I think it's something that we started with, deep empathy is a place where people feel like they can share their life stories. I think whether that's actually literally like having spaces to be vulnerable and actually share those different experiences that are a part of who they are as a part of their authenticity or in the way that they build their product, right? All or the way they do their work. All of us are a confluence of these different things that we've experienced in our lives. And so I think our ability to show up 100% to use them and leverage them in different ways is a reflection, I think, of the empathy that organizations build that allows us the space to do that or say that it's valuable or useful beyond whatever the job description says for the, for the role. Yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love to add one thing because both of you just, you just reminded me of a conversation I actually had this morning with a colleague. And I, I'm thinking about the phrase using empathy as a lens. And I think there's a level of detail there that's also really important because when you start implementing processes and actions, really understanding how at a detailed level is that going to be implemented and affect our workplaces. So I had a conversation with a colleague this morning who in the same week, she's a, she's a you know, top level manager, um, really great at her job. She got the communication from her boss that, hey, listen, if you were to put in, um, you know, some really good work in the next three months, you know, I think that it's going to lead you in this particular place, career advancement. At the same time, there was sort of a top down, there's been a top down effort on work, on work, work life balance, whole other topic we can have for another day. 
And so she then simultaneously got communicated that her work, she has kids, she, she stops work at four, she does a little pickup time at night. That's what works for her. She got a top-down communication that that 9 p.m. sort of communication, oh, well, you, you know, let's ease off on that, right? Because it was one person's view on what work-life work balance was. And I think that that's an example of an organization saying, okay, we're going to talk about work-life balance, whatever that means, right? What does that mean for our parents? What does it mean for our high performers? What does that mean? And so really kind of like bringing that all the way through the process so that those linkages and those dots are connected for the right people. She got, I mean, it was like a really difficult week for her because she didn't know what she was, she literally didn't know what she was supposed to do, <laughs> you know? And so anyways, I, that both of, both Corey and Jude just reminded me of that. And I think it's really, again, through the veins of the organization into process. I love that example and asking some of the tough questions over there. There's so many like gold nuggets here. Like I'm like taking notes like ferociously <laughs> as you guys speak and stuff. But some of the stats that like really um, stood out to me was like the toxic t corporate culture being 10x more important than um, compensation, uh, the whole concept of ombuds and stuff. And uh, to Corey's point on retention, you know, Judith, I think you put it really well, like, um, is there like a difference between like great attrition or great attraction? Um, we're kind of in this like pivotal time um, of the world over here. Um, how do you guys see um, a move towards authenticity and compassion kind of shaping the future of design and product development? I think both Jude and Kate have heard me say this before, but I really think there's this model of what does it mean to be a sidekick? And I think if we are looking at businesses and the roles that businesses play in the world and shaping culture, shaping the way that we engage with different things, I feel like businesses in the future are going to want to be in the business of doing more sidekicking as opposed to saving the day. And I think it's a shift really from this idea of like, how are we changing the world with our product or how are we changing the world with our service? So really thinking about how are we changing ourselves as a business to change the world or, or be in service to the world. And so I think some of the things that I think of a lot when I talk about what does it mean to really show up as a sidekick and I think how it relates to this kind of future of design and product development is thinking about more how are your products and how are the services that we're building solving everyday problems, right? There are things that people are looking for technology to, to do or for services to do or for people to do that really help them move through their day to day. And so I think showing up every day as opposed to like these bigger moments is one way that we think that we could think about the future of product development. I think being willing to acknowledge difficult or as I say, ugly truths about the tools that we build, what are their limitations? What are the gaps that we potentially might be aware of? What are the assumptions we're making that we're building these tools or products or services off of? And then being willing to address those, being willing to own them, acknowledge it, say that it's not perfect, but we're constantly growing and iterating. I think that honesty will help in the broader process of product development um, in the future. And then finally, I think recognizing the positional power or the market power or the influence that organizations have just with the different products or tools that they've been able to amass in market. So thinking about 
different product development or design and wondering like how are we using that to enable and empower others so if we're in a position where we can build something that gives somebody a broader platform for their voice if that's what we build or gives them greater access to information if that's what we build how can we actually lean into that as sort of a mandate to show up in in support of this empowerment piece and enablement piece uh, of the conversation so those just were my thoughts but i Happy to hand it over to Kate, maybe, to see what she wants to add. I would go back really honestly, and I'll answer this question really lightly, is I, you know, I just keep going back to that core of what empathy means, which is, you know, understanding and, and feeling um, that, that user experience. And that really pushes us beyond this traditional way of solving for that, which is user behavior and you know that type of thing and and what what is the consumer perspective and focus groups and you know that type of thing it really pushes us to be more complete in that process and building out a full experience of our users and building towards that more complete experience and i think that if we can get to that point we're absolutely moving in the right direction I love that. I'm going to piggyback off of just the great primer that Corey and Kate just kind of uh, gave us all. And I'm going to, I think, come from this from the lens of, of more so of what I've seen from like the mental health space and its intersection with the products that we're using day to day, right? Like in the tech space even. And so something that has been just like a startling statistic and I think a reality that's been more and more true for me that I've realized in my community is a, a recent CDC report has cited suicide as as the second leading cause of death for people ages 10 to 34. And they've been seeing this, this connection of not only what is happening right on the planet over the last two years, but what does this also have to do with the world that we're living in, the conversations we're having, the lack of empathy or the empathy that we are experiencing within our communities? And I think with staggering numbers like that, we're also seeing, however, that stigmas um, have also been slowly eroding and have been replaced with things like authenticity and vulnerability and candor. And this started with millennials, but it's accelerating with the rise of Gen Z, right? Our, our digital natives. And I think now more than ever, people want to be connected and are beyond the perfect performative displays that I think we've all kind of touched base on in this conversation. Um, and I think to Kate's point earlier and her example of an employee defining, well, what does work-life balance mean for our parents or for our, our high performers? I think really, the impact of, of product design and development is being able to create services and solutions that meet people where they're at, right? And, and what they want, given this new world that we're living in. And I think for me, startups that come to mind, like Be Real, I don't know if people have even heard of that, Be Real, Paparazzi, and Dispo are bringing a less performative approach to social media, for example, where there are no filters, there are no lenses. It's truly, what are you doing? What do you look like? How do you actually feel? And so I think in, in this conversation, there's the move toward authenticity and compassion isn't just shaping the future of design and product development. I think it's really shaping the future of work and our role in it. I'll just end it with that. That's absolutely amazing. What a strong note to end on. Thank you all so much for your time today and for unpacking and sharing your insights on what it means to be deeply empathetic. 
Um, going back to the core of what empathy means, the understanding, the feelings, um, and some of the detailed questions to ask to better understand um, and inform processes, how to measure it, um, and even leaving um, the audience here with a few tactical things that they can take away to further explore, such as the empathy mapping exercise that you mentioned, Corey, um, and using ombuds and so forth. So we'd love to give a special shout out to our guest speakers, Judith and Kate from Inner Shooters and Switch. Thank you so much for joining us today um, and sharing your insights and your wisdom. We hope you enjoyed this panel discussion on building with empathy. And we'd like to thank today's guests, Kate Broddick, Judith Martinez, and Corey Ponder for taking the time to share their insight and wisdom with us on such an essential subject. You'll find links to any resources mentioned in today's show notes. Thank you for listening to the Meta Business Innovation and Technology Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review.